0: The world is
1: yours.
2: Inā iwi o te motu he ki a e are tāringa mai ana ki te hōtaka nei āte ko
1: Justin Mariaho, no Mai hoki Mai A Welcome to Radio New Zealand's Kaopapo Māori program, Teahi giving an insight into Māori stories and perspectives.
2: This week we're in hearty, Nati country. For those of you not in the know, that's the east coast of the North Island. It was in the east
1: coast community of Tolaga Bay, Uawa, three years ago that an unknown burial ground
2: dating from the mid 19th century was unearthed. Now, while this in itself was incredible, the journey that followed for the people of Te Aitanga read at times like a science fiction novel.
3: The closer we got to the Farinui, the the more well dressed the oh. the old people were. Children, the kohiwi were. They had um, what was left of korowai. Um, they were they were the ones who had ponam. That was one of the things that intrigued us because we'd found it before, and um, we'd found it in other digs. I said, my goodness, what was this blue bead? What was the trick with that? Our first theory was that they were camphor beads. When we got sick, we put these beads around our neck, and it was sort of like Vicks fighting tuberculosis, Vicks against cancer sort of thing. Um, What we discovered was that there were a couple of... Classes of blue bead. One was sort of like the warehouse, and one was Michael Hill Jeweller. Those who were wearing the Michael Hill Jeweller yeah. were closer to the Fadieny. So it would seem that they were of a okay. st- status. Mm-hmm. Mm. And if you were like you and me, well, we got mm-hmm. the the wade whare um...
2: no, I don't know about you, but I know
3: I <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: Nori Parata and Victor Walker will be joining us a little later on.
2: How do you turn harakeke, or flax into paper that can easily be used for things like birthday invitations? Expert weaver Tina
1: Widihana has taken her deep knowledge of flax to the crafting of paper, all at her home, where she uses materials that doesn't cost an arm and a leg. This
4: is just using a frame that I've just. Um Put together quickly. It's just chicken-ish. It's not tight, but who cares? And if it gets really loose, well, you just rip it off and buy some more. Because mm. you haven't got time to spend a lot. Mm. You haven't got money. I haven't got money to go buying a mm. whole lot of these yes. frames. So I just do this, put it here, go towards me, up, and done.
2: Justine joins Tina making paper from flax later on in Teahikar. And Naitahu
1: Kaumatua, George Teekau, takes us on a tour of his Marai Onuku at Akarua. Kote tuatahi.
2: History is often made up of memories passed from generation to generation, but sometimes events are so painful that people prefer to forget. And sometimes there is simply no one left to remember. Which is what seems to have happened in Tolaga Bay up the east coast. In the mid-19th century, we're talking around the signing of the Treaty of Waitangi, the knowledge of an urupa, a cemetery, disappeared from the collective consciousness.
1: Now this is a pretty big deal for a culture that tended to rely on transmitting knowledge orally, because the people of Te Aetangahauetse had no knowledge, nada, nothing at all, of the urupa or even the people
2: buried in it. Or so they thought. Through a combination of detective work, tenacity and some really onto it people, the mystery of the urupa at the local school was solved. Okay, so we've just walked from the staff room, or from the principal's office.
3: And uh, we're at the site of the um, of the the, the the Kuranui, and Kuranui, which is uh, also named after the hapu that was here, Ngāti Kuranui, uh, also means new school, which it is. It is because this is the, um, uh, the uh, kura... Real, so, um, so this is where all the total immersion um, young people come. And it's also an art room. Now, if we come along a little bit, when the building was um, put up, it was... Uh, we had done from here to from the left-hand side of the building to halfway and it was on the halfway mark that the first quarry was found right. so we thought we had a look under the building um, sorry that was after the the initial one or two had been found so the five Victor, or six the one,
2: the one the half body that was mm, found that was
3: found further around right. when in the excavation so this this wasn't here and um,
2: this building here was it? How this, big is this building? Is this oh,
3: about? Oh, it's pretty much.
2: One rugby
3: field uh, long? One rugby field long. There's a rugby field there from there to there. So probably half a rugby field? Ah, oh, yeah. Only half a rugby field long. Um, and this half wasn't there. The northern half wasn't there. So, and, and on the corner of the northern half was where the first half. Koiwi was found, okay. and then the second one in close proximity, and then we found the, the five or six, which were, were just around here a little bit. And so there was this, we started, um, pretty much the uh, the building stopped. Um, so
2: this is all sand.
3: This is all sand, here yeah. And they've gone down to the, the first layer of hard soil. Yeah. So buried shallow. Um, so from here, um, we started finding um, the old people. And then they brought in the chap with the... Um,
2: magnometer.
3: Magnometer. And so we did all the way out down to that field down there. And, but they only came Which Which
2: must th- be the best rugby field in the whole of Aotearoa. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look at the view. <laughs> yeah, it and looks out onto the, um, the opening of the Uau yeah, Uau rivers. It goes out into the sea. Absolutely.
3: And the wharf there, and then that's our Maunga Titi there. Um, but it was just up here that there was ground, the ground disturbance was obvious. And what happened was we got all the children, the 300 kids, to do a walk across the whole field after he'd done just to pick up, see if there were any other um, any other evidence of um, I don't know old, like
2: and as he was picking up the evidence you'd get a kid to stand there
3: yeah, yeah, from here but there was nothing down the bottom there but up here, everywhere that the, the machine had picked up there was ground disturbance there was something there and oh. so we and it sort of unfolded before your eyes and so Nori was exactly right um, in some cases, there were um, one or two, and then I think at most there were five. One, but they must have died after each other because there's a new... Um, they're not all in the same uh, sort of rua together. They're, it's like one's been buried, and then the sibling has died. They've remembered where the other one was buried, so they buried them in close proximity. So we, by the time we got to... Here to the middle, and out there, we had 56. Wow. 56.
2: 56 koiwi
3: and... Two-thirds of them children under the age of 16.
2: So these were fully formed skeletons? Fully
3: formed skeletons,
2: jeepers and they were they mm-hmm. were found with Tonga.
3: They were found with Tonga, and one of the interesting things is that the further south we went and we didn't understand why but it seemed the more well dressed they were. Mm-hmm. They had I mean from 1840, how many how long is that ago? 1841 1843 um, they still had korowai fragments of korowai on them um, the pūriri was still intact pretty much and um they'd hollowed, hollowed out poodidi stumps and so used to put the put the you know in the bottom half of it closed it over with the top half and then nailed Yeah, so, so there were, there nails. were nails, nails. There were nails So um mm.
2: for those people who wouldn't understand could you describe what a poodidi is
3: Oh poodidi very hard um native wood um Grew profusely around here, um, still does oh sorry, until we cut them down about twenty thirty years ago as part of um, uh, scrub cutting and all the rest of it, but in uh, a very um, uh, a solid wood, very hard to cut, um, so it would have taken a lot of time to hew it as a as a casket, and the bottom half and the top half were um, they had taken out the the wood so that the the body could could fit in um, sometimes um they weren't the right fit, so there was um there was some forcing of the body into the it, it would seem that um because the heads were at right angles and things like that where they they probably should have been found um straight straight. In a straight line, but they um, were too tall for the casket, or things like that. Um, there would have been only one I think that was actually deformed um,
2: like physically
3: one leg, and that was one of the stories that, um, that one of our cousins told us um, I hope she doesn 't mind me repeating it here Te. Tahi o nga, koi wiki tu pana ah eh uh, hetaneta he rua waiwai tewa ah uh, tunoaro um eh uh, tikiti ya ka tona ah tina making nga koi wiki te um the hokitanga mai, uh, te ata, kā kitea e taku tonu i te tapuai kotahi, e takoto mm. rua ko iwi wira. Mm. Teno, oi oh, harai te, te, te mataku, but i kite rāua tahi, rāua ko te archaeologist, mm. te kite tiro whenua, Ka Tun tūmeke rāua, i te mea mohio tonu rāua, ko tahi te waewai mm. o te tipuna nei, ki tea e rāua, tona ke tapuai mm. kei roto i te urupāra. Mm. Ka, ka whakaro o taku whanaunga ki ae anō, ka tiki nātu i um, kāheru, ka mauri atu te, te kirikiri, te tapuai koiwira, so these are like
2: all these little, I guess you could look at them as signs, or all, all these yeah, little encouragements yeah. of it. that yeah, we know yeah. what has happened here. You know, you're getting these little reinforcements mm. that you're on the right track.
3: Mm. Aye, mm. aye. The six weeks that we were here, kāre aitua, mm. kāre mauiui, um, so i runga i te i, I, te mahi, yeah. I runga i te mi te tikanga. Ah, mm. So the further <laughs> South we came, and so we had uncovered the fifty six and the closer we came to the to the um, we found the foundations of the the missionary um, house uh, the 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 chapel, the church, right next to the church was where the mission um, relived, found the foundations for his little whare and right next to that, about right here. Um, what's the whare nui? facing east we found the, the Modi stones and it can be only one whare and that would be the whare of Tekani where they signed the Treaty of Waitangi where he said and where he was approached to be the king and he uttered that famous expression e hikurangi <laughs> mm, e neke, neke and so we found the foundations of that house, and so I suppose as a project for us, for the future, is to do a digital reconstruction of that, that fuddy for, for our own information and prosperity. So we found that now, and as I said before, the closer we got to the whare, um it would seem um, that the more well-dressed our tipuna were. So they were the, the children had ponamu um... And uh, the old people had caught away. Uh, we also found, as I said before, a, qual- a more beads of a greater quality, as well as the odd pipe, flint, um, and uh, that was pretty much it. But the last, just towards the end. After we had sort of found these foundations, incredibly, we found a horse, and it was buried back there where we started on, and we had missed it on the earlier, and it, it just, there was another shadow, and the archaeologist said, look, this is the last shadow, but it's so, it's not, it's, un, it's unlike the rest, but we're going to investigate Lo and behold, we found a horse buried in the urupa of all these tipuna. A black stallion buried on its back with its fetlocks forward. And so we, we realized. That almost
2: that seems unbelievable. It's
3: it was incredible. Oh, we were dumbfounded. Like
2: it almost seems like a myth. I mean, is that normal for horses to we be We have since round? found
3: that horses have been attributed considerable status and there have been urupa. What got us was the close proximity to, to, to Tipuna.
2: No, when
3: and according to the archaeologists and the the scientists that we had here it was from the same era now we know for a fact that baker had a huge stallion that he would go around on his missions with it could possibly be his horse we also know that the kania Takido had a great horse it could also have been his horse that was of considerable um, fame to mana. be, a mana to be locked in here with our our tipuna. So we called him status. I think he's buried by the plaque. We left our horse here. But even then, I thought that um, we we may have been able to keep. Status and 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 bring him back to yeah, I'm so give him blown floor. away that there was a horse found, Victor. Yeah, yeah. So we that found. Seems not,
2: very Greek mythology, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah,
3: yeah. Um, <laughs> Pegasus. a horse and, to
2: carry you on yeah. your way <laughs>
3: <laughs> to the to the afterlife and Aye. yeah.
2: After a visit to the site, could Victor and I joined his wife and principal of the Uawa Tolaga Bay area school.
0: Nori Parata. Nori te iwi. And I'm
2: Maria Rakuraku, and we're talking about the re of Ko iwi that were discovered at the Tolaga Bay Area School in August 2007. Well, I
0: suppose if you'd like us to start at the beginning, <laughs> the school was building some new classrooms, And on the 3rd of August, I remember the date so vividly, 3rd of August 2007, um, while undertaking building works, the carpenters uncovered some koiwi. And um, it was quite funny at the time because they called out to the caretaker and asked him to come and have a look. And he sort of had a look at them and he goes, oh, no, those are cow bones, carry on. Um, But it became very apparent that they weren't cow cow bones when, you know, skulls and leg and arm bones um, were Startling revealed. Raging, yeah. And um, and so that was the beginning of a six week journey um, which we never knew from one day to the next what was going to happen. Um, but as we now know, it actually was the discovery of uh, the first mission uh, cemetery here in Tolaga Bay okay. and um, what we had uncovered was the cemetery that was associated with the mission uh, at that time uh, and probably the most intriguing part of that was that nobody had a living memory of this Urupā being on site and um, certainly there were lots of people who said that they did know but I I have my doubts about that because I don't think we would have continued to operate the school how we did uh, if we had known that it was an Urupā on site.
3: The name of the the name of the the site, um, where the urupa was found, is Mangarara, and that is quite an ancient pa, which belonged to Ngati Kurenui, um who are also Te um, Aitanga um, The the principal chief, the paramount chief, the Ariki at the time, that. Um, the the PA was in full force around about the eighteen forties was Tekani A Takiro and that's his picture on the wall just behind you, looking at us, just making sure we're saying the right things. <laughs> um and it was uh a hapu, Najikuru were a hapu of um uh, a considerable hapu, um and it would seem that as a hapu, um, we because we're also Ngati um took on board the the Christian uh, message uh, with some uh, some, relish, <laughs> some relish, some <laughs> relish for a whole number of reasons. Um, so that was the name of the um, the, the site was Mangarara, and. It was uh, also where the first mission station uh, was sited, as was uh, the house of Tekani Atakiro called um, Tekani, where the Treaty of Waitangi was signed here in 1840. Not by him, but certainly by um, the leadership of Te Aitanga Hauiti of the time. Um, Charles Baker was the first missionary to... Uh, visit Uawa. he he travelled up and down the coast spreading the message (laughs) and he had quite a following because as you well know, Māori and we were no different, we uh, saw, we turned to Christianity with great gusto, in a sense it offered us a number of things including the technology of reading, writing and certainly the ethic of peace which I'm certain we would have come to in due course. (laughs) Um, And that that was what was attractive about having the missionary station here, um, according to Takani Atakiro, because he wanted to utilise that technology. He wanted to utilise the missionaries like Baker, who he had actually planting potatoes and and corn in the field, um, as part of encouraging the economic growth of... Uh, Te Aitanga, Hawiti and gati pro, So um, the mission was uh, set up here and it flourished until, I guess, with technology, there is a price and the price in this case was disease and sickness.
2: So prior to the establishment of the ministry, what was the hahi here?
3: Uh, this was the first. But
2: had Cause... there been a religious practice here no. previously?
3: No, we didn't have, it was traditional, traditional uh, spiritual practice, which meant that in terms of tangihanga and that type of ceremony, certainly we mourned our, our dead, those who had passed on. And as was the practice elsewhere, we would either reinter in trees or along the beachfront because of the sand, and being easy to establish there. But with the advent of Christianity, we started to bury, and it was quite evident in the discovery of this urupa that we found our tupuna were buried in coffins. Facing east. Facing east. So I guess at that particular point in time, there would have been some tension between our old people doing what they had been doing for, for generations in a new way, uh, a new belief system and a new way of bearing our dead, which we discovered in Uripa. Uh, ko Victor Walker, taku nor no uh, uawa, ko titirangi te maunga, ko uawa Teawa, ko te aitanga, haweti, te
2: Kia ora Victor Walker and Nori Parata, no te aitanga hawitsi me nasi puro That's wicked alright. Navigate yourself around our
1: website radionz.co.nz forward slash and you'll see the audio of the complete interview Mariah did with Victor and Nori.
2: And while you're there, subscribe to our weekly newsletter where you'll receive information about upcoming programs. I'm Mariah Rakaraku and I'm Justin Murray and this is Teahika. In January of this year, Justine was in Vegas, that's Rosarua, hanging out with some of the country's best weavers, and not just those who are experts in their own right but some who come from a line of master weavers that include Digeris Te and Emily Schuster.
1: The event was five days long and just sharing stories and ideas and comparing common struggles was enough to unite this bunch of passionate Indigenous
2: weavers. The Indigenous Weavers International Symposium was organised by Te Ropuraranga or o Aotearoa. That's the Māori Weaving Body of New Zealand. The group has been the foundation really for nurturing
1: and providing the korowai or cloak for many of today's talented weavers and the young ones
2: that are coming through. Which has filtered down to many of our traditional art forms, toi Māori, taking on a modern approach. So we're talking tāmoko, mahi or carving, raranga Māori weaving. And let's not forget the politics
1: that have created the group
2: politics, just eh, Justine? What's a Māori
1: organisation without them? Do tell. Well, here's the Papa. In 1983, MASPAC was created. So what's MASPAC? MASPAC is the Māori and South Pacific Arts Council, which later became Te Wakatoi.
2: Right, and Te Wakatoi is the Māori
1: Board of Creative New Zealand. Yep, that's right. But because of restructuring and funding changes, the focus shifted from Te Moana Nui a Kiwa. So that's like the... The whole of the Pacific the which whole includes of, Māori. Yep. Um, and our Pacific cousins to Sāli Māori. And of course, with that came a name change. Ida from Te Muananui Akiwa Weavers Group to Te Ropu Fatsu or Aotearoa. Which means? The Weaving Group of New Zealand, and they formed in
2: 1994. So let's recap. There was a name change, a shift of focus to Māori away from our Pacific Whanauanga, but in terms of Kaupapa Māori, not really a.
1: Eh? Exactly, because with weaving at the heart of it, whether you're Māori or Pacific Island is irrelevant.
2: Which was expanded further this year at the Indigenous Weavers International Symposium, held in Drusurua. Justine was at Taiwedi Marae, where she joined weaving expert Tina Wirihana at a workshop teaching how to make paper from flax pulp. So I was there taking it all in, being a
1: fly on the wall and trying not to get in the way.
2: It's not about painting,
4: when you want to get it, tying it up, and then you can actually have those. Um, so, when we do that, you're going to have one, two, three, four, four little bundles um, because those you're going to get go through four lots of dyes, and then the undyed one makes you your fifth color. Okay, and those, yeah, so those are the colors that you would have seen in the, um, the fibers in the exhibition that were laid out. And you had all those colours—the yellows, the browns. Those were, mm. those are some of mine that I've prepared, and haven't decided what I want to use them for. And all natural? I only deal with natural yes. when I deal with mocha. Yes. Yes. Otherwise, um, the yellows natural too. Yes. That's what I see. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I deal with, uh, only natural, and the the process of doing the dyeing is all through traditional dyeing processes, where we use a, a heated rocks over he, over oh, fire oh, in oh, a oh, wooden okay. vessel. So we've got all that hard yards. Nice. you are going to say, otherwise, you only use natural dyes. Otherwise. I only only use um, natural dyes when I'm dealing with moka.
5: Aye,
4: oh, yeah. aye. Oh, yeah. And then, so when I'm doing um, kete, yes, yes, you know, you yes. have the, the yes. flair of colour, yes. and that's all good. But, and, but I've kind of gone there with colour, and it's about uh, really looking at the colour of the harakeke and what the harakeke gives you because then you see the beauty in it. So this is the reason why I bought this in. And you can see, it's, and that's what I'll use in the paper as well. But I wouldn't make paper just solely out of this, because you want the outer cellulose to actually have to sort of bind it together. And it's a lot of fun, you know. And um, um, my friend and I, um, no, before I mention you, um, and as I you can see, hear, uh, Tina Warihana,
1: master weaver, weaver, is teaching uh, paper making using Demuka.
4: I'm not the only paper maker, but I've gone through the research base and taken full advantage of Scion here in Rotorua, the Forest Research Institute. And in the ceiling of the meeting house up at Waileke, the ceiling is lined with paper. so. Be- before actually putting the paper on the ceiling and doing it, is to do testers so you've got the tearing and the stretching ability and the longevity of the paper in order to put it on
1: the ceiling. It has its many uses, books, writing and even lining ceilings, as it was used for at the meeting house Ihinga at the Wairiki Institute of Technology in Rotorua. Paper making requires a bit of a DIY approach and knowing what materials work best, as Tina explains.
4: So this is, these are our tools, so it's framing and called our tub. And a bit of a roller here, We have to flatten it out, and sponge, otherwise you can use old towels, and just somewhere to do it. And this is exactly the, um, the situation I use at home. I just put it out so you don't have to worry about the water. It goes in and... Uh, Bob your uncle <laughs> <laughs> okay so i 'm going to prepare this this tab, but what we 're going to do is um, have i 'm just going to work this process out that we 're going to have these two bins we 're going to put them on here, okay, and then we 're going to have these boards where we 're going to put the scoop the paper and it just goes onto here okay so um, and once we've actually gone through a couple of um, scoops, then I'm going to just kind of say, right, if we can actually have, uh, like, no more than six sheets.
1: Mm. Mm. Just so you get the swing of it.
4: And the first scoop... and whatever. Tina comes sets out, up
1: an, an assembly down. line, and she's prepared the flax pulp beforehand. This is placed in a 10-litre bucket, which is then poured into two big white square tubs. The participants use a chicken wire square mesh to put into the pulp steadily. Using the mesh just like a sieve, they put it in and scoop it out. It makes a perfect A4 size square. This is then taken to a plasterboard and dried in the sun.
4: I'm just setting it up so there's a routine. Okay, and when I'm at my bench, is about this long. And I don't have a flash bench, they are two carpenter sauces with an old door on there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day I can collapse it down. Because mm-hmm. I don't have anything permanent. Mm-hmm. And uh, wherever the studio is, today it's here, tomorrow it might be outside. Mm-hmm. So I just follow that. And so we've got these, and they will go in the middle. And there's two there, two there. So we've got everything that's centralised so that we're not looking keen and we're minimising our walking. I'm going like a racehorse, but I want you to have fun first then I can answer your mm-hmm. father's questions. Yeah. yeah. We're into that. <laughs> yeah, it's a good process to use. OK, then, so we've got that. We've got our standby water. we got the towels. The towels would be um, in case any, you, just, just in case you want to dry your hands or whatever. And when I've got the pulp out like this ready to go, I try and minimise any floaters so that they don't go into the water. Yep. And also here, because it'll pick it up on your paper. All yep. right? These here are to, to bring it into, into there. The main
1: ingredient is the pulp, made of mulched flax. In making the pulp, Tina adopts sustainable techniques and uses natural resources and tools to make it.
4: See, that's all the pulp? And what it's, it's gone through the mulching, I mean at the boiling. The boiling. yeah. And once you got through the boiling, I actually use a muslin cloth mm. oh, when it's cooled down and then I pour it into the muslin cloth. And because I conserve the water and I live by the lake, I wait until the activity on the lake is quiet and that's either early in the morning or early evening. Then I go down to the boat ramp, which is only from here, to the flex bush from my home. I live right on Lake Rotretti. So I go down there with my muslin and the weirra barrow, mm-hmm. put it on the, 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 the boat ramp and just you know wash it up, to get it onto the GT, something like this, get it all clean so you can use all the water, yes. okay? And so, yes, it, it makes it so much easier. But once you've actually boiled it and, and um, it's all drained and cleaned, it's still quite coarse. Mm. The pulp, I mean the flax, we haven't pulped it yet. So um, people have a pounder, an uh, electrical pounder that works, so pounding in one place. But uh, I, I just use what's around and I use a, a paste rammer that my dad used to have because we were brought up mm. on a farm. And, uh, and those post-rammers aren't, aren't light, no, you know? Be. So then you put it in on a concrete, clean con- concrete, and it's still in the muslin, and you're going hard out with the, wow. the pounder, yeah, yeah. you yeah, know, you and then the move you it can. around. OK, oh. break it down. OK, no different to what Mioko um, was talking about, was the preparation. It's about the pounding, fermentation. So once we've gone through that, then I will put it into the hollander. Which is that machine I talked to you okay. about earlier, because then it becomes more user friendly on my equipment. So I purchased this Hollander, so I want to look after it. So if I prepare it before I put it into mm. Hollander, my Hollander's going to live as long as <laughs> I, right, but it'll live longer than me. <laughs> yeah. So then I've, the bulk of the pulp is in that big bucket mm. in there. So then when this bucket goes down, then I can replenish, put a little bit more water in. So it's just floating. Because I don't want little bubbles, little mm-hmm. lumps, mm-hmm. you know. But for us, we're just going to have fun. Mm-hmm. So then, I'm just going to do this. So I just want to guess what I've... So when you've done it for a while, I've been doing paper for about 25 years, so I've just kind of mm-hmm. worked in it kind of almost mm-hmm. blindfolded, really.
0: Mm-hmm. How much top you put in depends on the thickness of your paper. Mm.
4: So you can make it as thick or as thin, Mm. and you can make it as small or as large. Mm. So the largest ones that I've worked is 2 metres by 500. Mm
5: -hmm.
4: And um, for paper making, yes, making paper, yes, and I'm also a bookmaker, but I also like to think that we can look at paper And then I uh, work it as an art form. So Mm. one year I did um, 70 sheets as an installation in the gallery. So you had 70 sheets of these long sheets. Mm. Mm. So once you've learned the process, then just go with
1: it. She then demonstrates the technique of making the paper to the participants. So everybody's got their own station. Dipping the mesh, getting out the pulp, turning it over, rolling it out and then drain it off.
4: So this is just using a frame that I've just um, put together quickly. It's just chicken-ish. It's not tight, but who cares? And if it gets really loose, well, you just rip it off and buy some more. Because you haven't got time to spend a lot. You haven't got money. I haven't got money to go buying a Mm. whole lot of these frames. So I just do this. Put it here, go towards me, up. And Done, so you got your shoes okay. So it's as quick as that, great. So you're gonna have fun. So that's the first one there. And if you, yeah. Off the and you and, yeah, so you're going to be looking, oh, oh gee, it's not even. I don't want, yeah, <laughs> yeah, don't go there. Yeah, you're just going to go scooping if it's only half warm, that's all, just so you get to enjoy the process. So, but if it kind of Guess you and if you oh you want to have another go, all you do is turn it over like that. So then you don't put this submerge there because the pulp is going to get stuck all in here and you don't want it in there. So I'll do it again. And if you um, you'll find you probably get three three sheets out of here of different size. And I usually do a run of about ten or twelve at once, and then I will put them somewhere there. Then you can get the next one. I'm doing two sides here. So you're picking it up evenly. Mm-hmm. You pick it up like this, it's going to run. Side, yeah. Yeah, and then once you've actually scooped it up, and then you lift it. Okay. If it kind of takes away from the side, hey, that's all part of it. Mm, yeah. So you've got that. That's cool. Um, and then you try and um, maximize the length, you know, yeah, and put it together. Side. So you've got, it shows you got, and it's usually about eight on here. Mm. Okay, then you've got this here. The difference with this one here and this one, this one's got a little it? Yeah. Just for handling, mm-hmm. yeah, so you've got that lifting up, and then you've got the roller, the roller is not to put pressure on, just use the weight of the roller, because it has got a weight, so you just use the weight initially just to roll it down, yeah. So what it's actually doing is to get rid of those air pockets, mm. yeah. And if there's a larger pocket over here, when I've done the huge sheets, I just go and get a needle, a pin, and just poke holes so that it's got a point of escape. And then you don't have that running. When you push something, it creates creases. So that's all gone. Now then you can add the There we go. My end's done. <laughs> no, no, no. So I've done my three. So you've all got to do three sheets each. And once you've done it, when, when it's come off, you just push that there to get the surface, any on there, water. What have I or,
0: gone? And it's,
4: and it's set of there ready for your next
0: one. now no, you roll it. And that
4: you. You roll it backwards. just g- gently backwards so that it flattens it out. Now you need another one. No. It yeah. might have felt the same as that, but this is actually the volume of water is greater. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So do mm. the So you make sure when you before you do that, are, are the sponges here? Are they? Yeah. Okay. On the no.
2: Okay.
4: Make sure they're all here, and you roll it because you get you yourself into a working routine because okay. you're not going go to go backwards and forwards. One sponge, one roller. So just.
0: Because, and then look at the traffic. So when you're scooping, you're coming here,
4: and your others are going around. So we can have another. We have. Yes. Or wait till they're done. No, 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 no waiting for anybody. They've got to
5: hurry up. Get it?
4: Mm -hmm. Uh, okay, so, yep. so yeah, what happened? There? Yeah, okay, that's a good one. Okay. okay. People, when when you just flop it on without sponging, this is the result. Okay, it's it's and it's good that it's happened because we know what's happening. So then what we'll do is do this.
1: So now I closely observe the participants. Some in this group are expert weavers in their own right, so it was interesting to see them give it a go.
3: One,
1: There's that. Very good. Well done. right. Now, I'll go this way. From the right top there, and come, come down for you. Down
4: here. Cool. Well done. Yeah. And if we kneel on the cheap part of the table, it's going to do what? It's going to get up a re-tilt, and then what happens? How do I do that? I'm not too I'm sure, sure so. what you do. Take
1: okay. that right. right off
2: first, yeah.
1: So maybe drain it off one corner. I don't even know how to do it. Sponge?
0: You've got to use the sponge. Have you done this before, mate?
1: Carl, I'm supposed to be doing midi (laughs) midi. You're supposed to be be giving midi midi to people. Oh, I went away from the group.
4: Now we put pressure on one side.
0: Pressure on one side. On this side. Like on that
1: side. When
4: you push on that side,
0: side, this side will lift up. See the
4: men just lift it. Oh, I just missed it. That's a cool piece. Beautiful. (laughs) Can you get the sponge?
2: Yay!
1: There fun? There we just, mm. just, thank you just roll yeah. here yeah. you when you finish this fire
4: you else. take yeah. it back there rather I'm than does somebody else. want it okay okay so I'm trying to get you into yeah. the into swing the of things yes yeah, it's fine. yeah. right yeah oh, thank, thank you uh, thank, 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 thank you, you. Yeah. See that, that like, bubble yes don't press too hard just roll it out well done back towards me that way go that way one down two to go. The motion of pulling it towards you, you're going to watch the water flow. Because mm-hmm. the water is actually going to move like that and then onto the screen. So if you do this, it's not doing anything. Okay,
3: yep.
4: yep. Okay, so then if you do this
3: down. <laughs>
2: ah. Because yeah, you've got that. See, so you've got yeah. a feeling. Tina Widihana and her participants from the Indigenous Weavers International Symposium. I'm Mariah Rakraku. I'm Justine Murray, and for photos from the workshop, you can head to our webpage,
1: radionz.co.nz forward slash teahikar.
2: And for our weekly podcast or for previous teahikar programs, click into our audio archive. From the late 1820s to the early 1830s, the Nati Toa Rangatira Te Rauparaha wreaked havoc on South Island iwi as he sought to gain control of the region and its assets.
1: And as Mariah has found when she's visited different South Island marae over the past couple of years, they remember it clearly like it was yesterday.
2: Last year I collected Ōnuku Maraikau Matua, George Tekau, from his home in Christchurch and we drove the hour and a half through Belfast and Little River across the hills to the French influence bay of Akuroa on the other side of Banks Peninsula. Where they made their way to his marae Ōnuku.
1: Ngā marae o
2: I have just driven uh, with George Tekau in the car. We have driven from Christchurch to Akaroa. It's taken us a good hour and maybe hour and a half um, it is bitterly cold I am now standing in the centre of the Tupuna, and it's again a very modern structure that has some very interesting looking po, and uh one of the locals is just joining us and George will give me a tour of inside the Wharetupuna.
5: Ta, George, tikao, te iwi. Uh, kehu, uh, me tārewa, uh, te hapū. No.
2: Me mm. um, all right, so we are standing and looking towards the back of the Wharetupuna and so, what we're looking at effectively is the Poutuaroa. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, the entrance that we came through is through the back of the Faritupona as well. Now, the name of the Poutuaroa is after
5: the Well, the name of we called the house uh, Karaweko after the uh, our uh, chief of um, uh, of the hapu of Katitarewa, uh, and uh, so he is. Um, uh, on this uh, popo in on the uh, the side of the house, uh, with he and his wife and his uh, child and his children on that po. So um, I I I could go right through, but we'll be here for some time, <laughs> so uh, we'll try and go through uh, some of the popo that are in here that relate pretty close or very much closer to. Um, to us as a whānau. Um, as, we, as you may be aware, um, whenever Manuhiri come into any of our houses, uh, we normally have our um, Manuhiri come in to the front door and sit on the, um, on the right side of the house as you're coming in, and the, our, um, our people from the area sit on the left. And we, Bofuri people, through uh, off the Atea uh, onto the Maho and into the house. And so um, uh, many of our close relatives from Horamaka, Banks Peninsula, are all um, immortalised, I suppose you'd like to call it that, uh, on the left hand side. So most of our relatives are closely related, close relatives are over there. And many of the popo on the right-hand side are also um, closely related as well, but they're more uh, closely related to uh, Horamaka or Banks Peninsula of Akaroa.
2: And I've got to say that um, the view, i am just looking out towards the windows, is pretty spectacular here. We're looking out across the Akaroa Harbour.
5: There we are. Um, This uh, place has been our people's... uh, uh area of um sustainable i suppose uh, with most of the kaimoana uh, that we were able to our people were able to use um for themselves during those uh very hard times many years ago and so the settlement they settled here because of that and uh much of the uh kaimoana around the harbor still still exists not as much as it used to of course but um we're still managing to look after it and and still able to use our uh, the area around here for kai um, that our people used 100 years ago or more.
2: Now, one of the more unusual features of a whare, which I've um, I've yet to see in a whare, is the tukutuku. Mm-hmm. They're green panels and they have white, black and red patternings upon them, but the fact that they're uh,
5: green. Uh, the green? The um, green, we uh, when we built the house um, we had um, Kath Brown was one of our um, our weavers of the time um, you know, the Maori word is uh, ra, ra, raranga,
2: raranga yes.
5: and Kath used to be, was our one of our, with Reihana um, Parata and other weavers at the time, uh, we Um, came in, and this is what I was telling to you on the way over, that our people uh, got together, and whenever anything was needed or required, um, many of our people accumulated together and got together to do a lot of this work, and Kath, under her management, and a lot of the other women, uh, and other men as well, uh, weaved the, um, the patterns in the tukutuku, the green is, um, uh, was because of the uh, native timber trees at the back. Uh, we, the theme of the green was because of the bush. Um, the pattern of the diamond shape was um, in this harbour. <coughs> there's um, one of the main uh, kai uh, from the harbour uh, through wetfuss was the pātiki, so the diamond shape is um, the, the partiki. <coughs> the different colours you see in the tukutuku um, were um, be- we because of the help that we got from our cousins from the different marae around the Banks Peninsula. Some of these cousins' uh, colours were theirs. <coughs> I think I think that's the um, the. Now I'm not sure, but which one of the red ones are? Uh, the Tuhiwi pattern, wow. or the Kaiapoi area, and then we have the dark um, area of TawmuTu, which so uh, they the one of the main uh, kai uh, of partiki in the TawmuTu in uh, the Lake Waihorta is a black partiki, and so the darkness of um, some of the um, patterns on the Tuku Tuku um, was from TawmuTu. And that dark area was because of their dark pātiki, the black pātiki. Um, other areas from rarata and um, Rāpaki, all of their colours are in the, the tukutuku.
2: And that's a, the that's a level of thought and consideration that goes into constructing a Um
5: I think it's part and parcel of... Um, of when you build your whānau um, tipuna, uh, you do that. I'll take you back down here a wee bit further because I want to um, show you or talk to you about um, one of my ancestors, who was um, and two, uh, two of my ancestors, if you like, uh, who signed the Treaty of Waitangi. Now we'll come back here, starting off with my um, with my great uncle John Love coming over here. Yeah, John, John, Uncle John signed the treaty as um, John Love, and that's him there. His, um, tr- his tribal name was Lucky, but when um, he was taken prisoner at an age of 15 and was taken back to Kapiti, uh with his father and my, um, my toa um, and his father and mother, we were taken prisoners as well, as well as his other younger brother Tarmati, and, uh, and of course um, they. He managed to escape from Carpeti and uh, joined a whaling ship, and ended up by um, travelling to Europe. And whilst in Europe, he studied in uh, France at Bordeaux, and then in London. Um, The my grandfather, my poet, tells tells us that he went to university. Now I don't have any proof of that, but he did come back as a learned man, and he came back as a very a scholar, if you like, who became very very helpful um, during the um, the land claims, and uh, and became one of the first Maori assessors to the. during those times in South Ireland, um, so and that's John um, poet, um, John Love, who signed the treaty and behind us, back over here we have the other signatory to the treaty, and his name was Iwico. So you have those two people very prominent for us, uh, standing here and modelised um, in our house. Um, my ancestors are on its po here. Uh, this was the <coughs> the conventional side of our our work that we did after building our our whare. and um, my poet <coughs> uh, topuri Otu and his wife Hakeke, who were taken prisoner um, um, during the taropuha wars up from kaiapoi and tamati and his wife uh, um, rahera. <clears throat> on that centre pole there, so when George, I took, mm-hmm.
2: what does that resemble? Is that resembling something? Because um, it's an unusual feature, isn't it?
5: Um, our carver was Eric Kurefa. and uh, Eric um, uh, said to me one day when I came in here and he was working, he said, "Oh, this was the um, the top part um, is conventional, but it." He was trying to say that uh, the uh, there was some intelligence amongst our people and he carved it, um, in his view, that he carved that uh, as part of saying that these people were reasonably intelligent, not saying that all of the people around here that are carved around the Popos weren't that way, but just something that he did there with, with my uh, my ancestors.
2: Because what we're looking at is um, the wall that shows all the people that have passed away. And mm. like uh, Tomatu the whare tupuna there, they have the photos depicted on the front wall.
5: Yes. I think um, <clears throat> most of the houses that were built many years ago, you always had a, a dark side to any whare. And um, that was the the... Wall at the front or the back of the house was um, a spiritual side, I suppose, uh, of um, a lot of the ancestral houses, and uh, we tried to change that a wee bit uh, by not going to a dark end of the house. Mm. And now, in the middle of the poem um, Manua, we have um, Irakehu. Now, Irakehu is the hapu. Of nearly all of the uh, Banks Peninsula people, <coughs> we have uh, hapu like Katitarewa, um, which was the hapu of Karaweko, uh, of um, of um, um, but uh, they could also fuck a papa to Irakehu.
2: Ngā marae o te motu. Kia ora, George T. Now we've got some exciting developments on the website front at radionz.co.nz forward slash teahika. Our marae o Te Otemotu series will be going live.
1: Meaning you'll be able to listen to Marae we've been to in the past, including the names of different Farikai, Farinui, whare where they are in Aotearoa and some
2: fabulous photos. So stay tuned. I'm a Black with this week's Fakatoki.
0: Hey, you're ringing the world is yours. That Fakatasi, that kōrero to me means uh, whatever you want to achieve, it's possible. I uh, kotahi ahi atemona uh, ko ohine mataurua te ao, ko uh, hamua te mena tika ora na hapu, uh, kutsu ho e hoki Te i ko nā Tapa black hole uh, nō no rua te ki ora.
2: Next week, I'm in Whanganui, getting a tour of Murikonui Station with Hari Benevides and Harvey Bell, and the whole range of characters that make it a success.
1: They were one of the finalists in the Premier Māori Business Farming Awards for the Ahu Whenua Trophy.
2: And Justine is with Richard Connell, who's taking headstone design to a whole new level. Yep, I got to see Richard's work, which included a Michael
1: Jackson plaque just shortly after the star's death, and this awesome koi fish Headstone. I can't wait to post the photos. No reira iteiwi e kua no Mato Kitemutsunga atae ahi ka himihia
2: na kai kordero iti
1: wiki Kitama mau nei kaira wiki wiki mihini, ni ngamahi
2: aira hoki mai ano hei wiki moiora tato katoa.